0: As it says up there, the first reading is from Peter's first epistle, chapter 2, and that's on page 857. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ for in scripture it says see i lay in a stone in Zion a chosen and precious cornerstone and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame now to you who believe this stone is precious But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone and a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful life. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that although they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good works and glorify God on the day he visits us. Stepping back a few pages to page 828, The uh, chapter 4 of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. As a prisoner of the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean? Except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists Blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in hope, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work.
1: Thanks, Peter. It's uh, good to be with you tonight. Uh, Excuse my croaky voice. It's a bit sick, so bear with me. And do pray. Uh, Lord, I want to thank you for uh, the chance we've had tonight to sing praises. Thanks for the musicians and their willingness to help us to do that. Thank you, Father, for Uh, Your word that we just had read, thank you for those who translated it, uh, those who preserved it. Uh, Thank you, Father, that we can gather each week and just sit under your word. Lord, you know our hearts, you know what we need to hear, and I pray that you would teach us richly and wisely tonight. I ask that for Jesus' sake. Amen. Uh, we're looking at the church. Uh, we saw from Ephesians uh, chapter 5 that the church is described as the bride of Christ. So when God looks at the church, uh, he sees it as a husband sees uh, his wife. Perfect and holy and pure and blameless. Uh, he loves it. Uh, he loves her. He gave his life for her. Uh, she is his bride. Uh, last week we looked at Hebrews uh, Hebrews 10. Uh, Do not stop meeting together. And we were challenged that as we gather together, we gather to encounter God, encounter God in his word, and encourage each other. And the challenge was if we're not gathering regularly, then we're not actually worshipping God together and we're depriving each other of what it really means to be a family. And tonight I want to look at what it means to be church. So if I said to you, church is, what would you say? Just call out some answers. Church is accepted. Church is family. Church is people gather together around God's word. Church is teaching and fellowship. So church is people gathered together around God's word, church is being accepted, church is family, church is teaching, church is fellowship. If you asked a lady called Lindy what church is, she'd say this. She said, church are the people who loved me as I went through chemotherapy. My brothers and sisters who who cared for me who cooked for me, who prayed for me, who gave me lifts, who were just there for me in the tough times of life. If you ask David, he would say, a church are the people, my brothers and sisters in Christ, who, who loved me enough to sit me down and say the really hard things when I was living a godless life. And they cared for me, and they cared for Jesus enough to sit me down and rebuke me and correct me. That was church. If you ask Beth, she would say, the church was a place where she met Jesus. A church was a place where she she came and she encountered the Lord Jesus and the people there loved her enough to sit down with the scriptures and teach her and disciple her and put her on the right path and lay solid foundations for her Christian life. If you chatted to Rosie, she would say the church was the community that were different because she wasn't a Christian. But there was something about these people that gathered each Sunday And they had something and it was like, what are they doing in there? And she was intrigued so she entered the church and she too discovered Jesus. You see, when it's functioning well and when it's functioning properly, the people of God gather together the community of believers that love each other and care for each other and encourage each other and build each other up and spur each other on. It's the most beautiful thing on earth. When the community of God get together and serve our king together and we work alongside each other and we build each other up. It really is, as Spurgeon says, the dearest place on earth. That is church. This is how the Bible describes church. Church is God's household. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3. Paul writes, I'm writing you these instructions so that if I'm delayed... You will know how to, people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is a church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of truth. He says, we are God's household, the church of the living God. What does that word household mean to you? If I said to you, uh, what's your household? I'd be surprised if people said to me, "Oh, my household is a, it's a red door with, with red bricks and mortar, and it's two stories high. You wouldn't describe the structures. If I said to you, what's your household, you would talk about the people who live there. My household is me uh, uh, and my wife and three kids. My household is my mum and my dad and there's four of us in our family. The household is the people, not the building. And so we are God's household. Look around you. The people sitting next to you and behind you and in front of you. We are God's household, different people, different background, different walks of life, different ages. But the only thing we have in common is the Lord Jesus Christ. We are the family of God. Another metaphor from the Bible. We are God's temple. Ephesians 2, in Jesus, the whole building is joined together. And rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in Jesus, you too are being built together become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. That's extraordinary. The temple in the Old Testament was a place where God chose to manifest his presence. But he says, because of Christ... If you're in Christ, we are the temple. We are the place where God chooses to manifest his presence. And we're being built together into not bricks and mortar. The church is far more magnificent than any cathedral has ever been built. We are are the temple, the stones, the living stones. Uh, We belong to each other. Another metaphor. Church is the body of Christ. So Jesus is the head. Of the body his church. Or this verse of Romans 12. Just as each of us has one body. Here it is. One body with many members. Hands, feet, eyes, nose, livers, kidneys. But these members don't all have the same function. But we're one body. So in Christ. If you're in Christ. We who are many form one body. Look at this last bit. And each member belongs to all the others. We're connected. We're part of the same body. We have different function, different roles, but we are one. Now look at those three images. Church is God's household, God's temple, and the body of Christ. Now what do you notice about those images? They're all corporate. They're all collective. They're all... We, not me. They're all us, not I. We're a family. We're a temple. We're a household. We're a body. It's about relationships. That is church. And I think that's the challenge to our individualistic society. Because we are being brought up to believe that life evolves around us, to think individually. What is your goal? Uh, What's your aim in life? Think about self. What will make you feel better? And the Bible has a different concept. It says not about you, it's about others. It's about relationships, it's about family. And when we think about God's church, it really challenges us to what I call stop living in the elevator. Stop living in the elevator. Let me explain that. You know, when you walk into an elevator... You get into the elevator and there's three or four people there. What do you do? Avoid eye contact. Ignore them. They're not here. I can't see them. I can't smell them. It's just me in my little space. And get me there as quickly as possible. I'm on the seventh floor. Please get out. You're invading my space. Ain't it? And some of us live life like that. And we do church like that in the elevator. We come. Please don't talk to me. Please don't sit too close to me. I want no human contact, just me and God, and I'm going to leave. Thank you very much. And we can't do that because we're related. Your brothers, your sisters, whether you like it or not, you are family. I mean, what happens when one person in a household decides they're going to isolate themselves from the rest of the family? It causes disunity and disharmony. What happens when when one stone in a temple decides that it doesn't want to be in the temple anymore, it's going to kick itself out of the wall, where the whole wall is put under strain and and is about to collapse? Uh, What happens when one part of the body, when your liver decides, I'm fed up of being a liver, I'm going to stop working now? Well, the whole body suffers. And if we keep thinking individual, and if we keep thinking self, then this whole family, this whole body will suffer. So what does it mean to be church? Let's look at Ephesians chapter 4. Here we go. Two points tonight. Number one, live as a united family. Live as a united family. So what's the most powerful way that we can demonstrate God's amazing power to reconcile us to himself and to reconcile us to each other. What's the most powerful way to show and to demonstrate that we really are brothers and sisters? It's to live as a united church. Uh, so Ephesians 4 verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord then, as the Westers would say, I urge, I urge yous to live life worthy of the calling yous have received. It's a, it's a, it's a plural you, not a singular I urge you, plural, to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Now, what's the calling that we have received? Ephesians 1, it talks about how we've been chosen, adopted, redeemed, forgiven, brought under the headship of Christ. Ephesians 2, we've been reconciled to each other. And the calling that we have received is to live as reconciled, redeemed, forgiven, united people. Because we are united, whether you like it or not. Now, what's the basis of your unity? Verse 4 There's one body, the church. There's one spirit. Uh, Just as you were called to one hope when you were called one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. See, the basis for your unity is not structures, it's not church structures. You can never create unity by structures. Uh, Unity is not the same as uniformity. We don't all think alike. We're not all clones. The basis of your unity is, verse 4, God himself, the Trinitarian God. So you have one spirit. The the spirit who lives in me, who, who, who bought me, who equips me, who transforms me, is the same spirit who lives in you. And so we're united by that same spirit. We have the same son, We have one Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, and one faith in that Lord Jesus Christ, and one baptism into that Lord Jesus Christ, and one hope that that Lord Jesus Christ will return. And we have the same Father, verse 6, one God and Father of all. I have a Heavenly Father, the same Heavenly Father who loved you and bought you is my Heavenly Father as well. Have you got it? Your unity is based in God himself. Your unity is based on a God who is Father, Son, and Spirit. Now why is that so important? Because you cannot divide God. You cannot divide the Trinity. He is eternally unbreakable. And that's sort of the best basis for any unity that we have. It's been said that it should be no more possible To split the church and to split the Godhead. Because our unity is in him, Father, Son and Spirit. So the question is, why is there so much disunity? And why is there so much division and fighting and betrayal and disappointment and gossip in the heart? Why? Because we don't do what verse 3 tells us to do. Verse 3, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. He doesn't say create unity. We are already united in Christ. But we're called in verse 3 to do something, to do the hard work, to make every effort to maintain the unity. Here's a confession. I'm a proud, self-centered, arrogant, selfish man and I hold grudges by nature and I'm impatient by nature and I struggle with people that's my sinful nature and I'm guessing that's your sinful nature as well proud arrogant selfish self-centered at the root of us all that's what we're like and that's why he says in verse 2 to make the effort to keep the unity you need a transformation Instead of being proud, you're called to be humble. Instead of being arrogant, you're called to be gentle. Instead of being impatient, you're called to be patient. And you're called to bear with one another in love. You're called to get rid of your arrogance and overbearing and grudge-holding ways and put on humility and gentleness and patience and forbearance so that we can work hard at keeping the unity. How are we going to do that? Because it is hard work. Because church is full of simple people. How are you going to keep unity in this church? The answer is quite simple. This is the answer think others before yourself. Think others, not just self. I'm going through a list of. Verses from the Bible. And maybe there's division. Or there's factions. Or there's fighting. Or there's hurt. With people in this building right here, right now. And I'm urging you to make every effort to keep the unity. What would that look like? Well, be devoted to one another. In brotherly love. Honour one another above yourselves. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Don't be bitter. Rejoice with them. Mourn with those who mourn. Sit alongside them. Grieve with them. Don't use your freedom to indulge a sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. Carry each other's burdens. Not just know about their burdens, but carry them. Do the hard work of... Getting alongside them and carrying them, living life with them. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other. Because in Christ, God forgave you. Encourage one another. Don't tear them down, but build each other up. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. And above all, love each other deeply. Because love covers over a multitude of sins. See, what do you notice about all those verses? It's not about you. It's about each other. It's not about self. It's about family. See, we're not called to provoke one another, to devour one another. We're not called for revenge or retaliation. We're called to love, honor, encourage, forgive, confess, pray, love one another deeply. Let me give you some examples. Maybe there's somebody in this building tonight who has hurt you deeply, or who has disappointed you, or who has gossiped about you. What's it going to look like for you to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit? How about you move to a different congregation? That would make life easy. How about you coexist in this building and just pray that your paths never cross? No. To make the effort to keep the unity means sitting down with that person and talking and confessing to each other and praying for each other and then forgiving each other. Uh, Not just in word, but indeed forgiving. You know, Spending time with them, inviting them to your house, hanging out with them. Showing that you really have forgiven them. That's the effort to keep the unity. What about somebody here who is doing life really tough? Maybe they're retrenched, maybe they're sick, maybe they're lonely. What would it look like to keep the unity in this church? It's not thinking, oh well, you know, we pay staff to look after them. We've got church help to look after them. It's thinking, how can I carry their burdens? What can I do as a a brother and sister in Christ to really feel their pain and to help them at this time? That will keep the unity. What about the brother or sister who is caught in sin? And you know about it. What would it look like for you to maintain the unity of this church? Not turn a blind eye, but to sit with them with the scriptures open and allow the word of God to rebuke them and to correct them And then to encourage them and put them back on the right track. See, whether you like it or not, we're family. And we're called to keep the unity. And that's hard work. But church life and the Christian life was never called to be an easy thing. I'm urging us as a church to work hard at relationships. Not just on Sundays, but outside this building. Not just with people who are like you or people that you like. But with people who are not like you, just to show to the world that we really are a united family. Live as a united family. Secondly, serve as a diverse family. Because in God's wisdom, He's made us all different. We're not clones, we're not monochrome, we're different people with different gifts and different personalities. And that's why He says in verse 7. Uh, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. That word for grace is the same word for gift. As each one of us, grace gifts have been given as Christ apportioned it. And that's why it says in Psalm, Psalm 68, excuse me, that's why it says, when Jesus ascended on high, he lay captive in his train and he gave gifts to men. Look at verse 7 again. You've got to understand this. If you're part of this family, to each one of us, gifts have been given. There's nobody here who can say, I've got nothing. I've got nothing to contribute to this church. Yes, you have. God has gifted you in some way. And you've been gifted as Christ apportioned it, verse 7. So Christ knows you and Christ decided which gift he would give you. And so we can't sit here and say, I I, I want the gift of teaching. Until until I've got that gift, I'm going to sit and do nothing. I I want the gift of playing an electric guitar. Until I've got that gift, I'm going to do nothing. I want the gift of hospitality. Until I've got that gift, I'll do nothing. No, God knows what you need. He's given you, he's apportioned you a gift. And you're to use it to build up the church. So verse 11, it it was he... Uh, who gave some to be apostles, that is the New Testament apostles who saw the risen Jesus, some to be prophets, uh, the men and women who spoke the word of God into people's lives. He gave some to be evangelists, the people who are gifted at explaining the gospel and getting alongside people and bringing them into the kingdom. It was some to be pastors and teachers, who, who disciple, who shepherd, who handle the word of God correctly and speak the word of God into your lives But why has God given us those people? Has God given us apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers so that the church can be about one man doing everything? Is it my job to do everything? Look at verse 12. You're given these gifts to prepare God's people, his church, that's you, and me, for works of service, for ministry. We're all called to ministry. We're all called to serve in some way so that, not so that you're puffed up and not so that you feel good about yourself, but so the body of Christ may be built up. So you've got a part to play in growing this church. You've got a, a vital role to play. The body of Christ might be built up until we all reach the unity of the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. I find verse 13 fascinating. Because we are united. We're united in the Trinity. We're called to make every effort to keep the unity. But in verse 13, he talks about reaching unity. There's a goal we're heading towards. It's called the day when we will be united. But but to reach that goal, you've got a role to play. Because you've been given a gift to using God's church. And if I can be as bold to say this, that maybe this church is not maturing and it's not growing in the knowledge of God and is not growing in unity because we're being selfish and we're not using the gifts that God's given us for the good of the body and we're withholding and we're preventing for this church from growing and building because you're sitting there with your gift and keep it to yourself. And the picture here is of a body that is thinking others and thinking growth and thinking maturity as you work as you serve as you grow. The problem is that most of us have a consumer mentality towards church. What can I get instead of what can I give? Listen to David. He says this I spent years as a church consumer. I went to church and I consumed. I compared and I critiqued. If I didn't like something, I'd be the first to point out what was wrong. And I left each week with a long list of complaints. But I never bothered to do anything about it. Now I'd call myself a communer. I get involved. I do stuff. And my Christian life is so much more enriched. I get to serve. I get to use the gifts God has given me. I get to work alongside people. And I get to see other people's lives changed. And I feel like I'm part of a family. And I guess that's why God talks about us being a body with different parts. And I get it now. See, there's a man who's understood. He's just part of a body with a gift to give to build up the church. And I don't know all of you well. I don't know what your gifts are, but you've got them. So use them to grow the church. We can't all be up front. We can't all be the the hands and the eyes and the mouth in the body Some of us will be the thyroid glands and the gallbladder, but they're just as vital and just as important for this body to function properly. And what's the goal? It's there in verse 16. For him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. As you read the scriptures, there are different gifts. So 1 Corinthians 12 talks about supernatural gifts like knowledge and healing and prophecy and tongues. But there's also gifts of helping and gifts of administration. Go and read Romans 12. Go and read 1 Peter 4. Gifts of hospitality. Gifts of serving. Whatever gift you've been blessed with, please use it for the good of the body. Because we're family. And you know, I look at this church and I do give thanks. Before every single church congregation, there's people scurrying around doing stuff. Musicians are practicing, there's a man on the PA, there's people doing computer, there's people doing supper, there's people stuffing Bibles, there's people welcoming, there's people praying, there's people <laughs> reading, there's people just being around to, to welcome and disciple people. I want to say just thank you for the way that you do that. But there's still a lot of, a lot of consumers here who just rock up to get rather than to give. Let me address a few comments I've heard made about this church. Someone said, uh, we pay staff, let them do the work. No, Ephesians 4 tells us that that you've got pastors and teachers to equip you for works of service. Our job is to encourage and to empower you and to equip you and us to work together. Some people have said, uh, Paul holds too tight a rein. Uh, I'm not allowed to do anything. If that is true, I need to repent because I'm just one part of this body. Other people have said, oh, I don't have any gifts. Yeah, you do. Everyone's got gifts. Other people have said, oh, everything's been done. No, it's not. (laughs) There's lots more to be done. People say, I'm too busy. If you're too busy, look at your calendar and just carve out a bit of time for the good of the body. But this is a big one. People often say, Paul, no one's ever asked me to serve. And you know what, I read the New Testament, I can't see anywhere where people are asked to serve. It's just what we do. If you love Jesus, if you're in love with Jesus, if you're thankful for his death, if you love the church, if you're part of the church, then you just naturally overflow serve. It just flows out of you without being asked. Just do it. We're a family. We're a body. Different gifts, different parts to be used to build each other up. And that's the choice that God gives us. Verse 14, we can stay as infants. We can stay as a church where we're tossed back and forth by the waves and we listen to any kind of teaching and we're not discerning uh, and we just think every podcast is a great sermon because we've got no biblical basis for it and every church is an amazing church we just tell you what you want to hear and we don't say the hard things, we don't challenge godlessness and we never stretch. We can stay like that if you want to. If you want to stay as infants, then do nothing. Be undiscerning, listen to anything. But if you want to be mature... If you're going to be a church which actually is growing in Christ, we'll do what verse 15 says. We will speak the truth in love. If it's all love and no truth, all love and no truth is just this cuddly heresy of a church. All truth and no love is just this Bible-bashing, arrogant church. But put those two together, truth and love, truth and love, truth and love, then you've got a family and a body that knows each other and cares for each other and loves each other. And then perhaps we will grow up and mature into him, the head, like Jesus. Because he's the one who joins us together, he's the one who holds us together And he's the one by every supporting ligament. That's us. We grow and we build each other up in love as we do his work. So are you serving? Are you using the gifts that God's given you to serve as a family? Here's what Spurgeon says. I warn you, it's a challenging quote. He says, I know there are some of you who say, look, I've given myself to the Lord. I don't need to give myself to any church. Now, why not? Oh, because I'm a Christian. I can be a Christian without it. Are you quite clear about that? You can be as good a Christian by disobedience to your Lord's commands and by being obedient. And Spurgeon says, there's a brick. What's that brick made for? Well, to help build a house. That's right. But I tell you, it's of no use for that brick to tell you it's just as good a brick whilst it's kicking about on the ground as it would be in the house it's a good for nothing brick so rolling stone Christians I don't believe you're answering your purpose you're living contrary to the life which Christ would have you live and you are much to blame for the injury you do so if you choose just to stay as a, a brick on the ground apart from the rest of the body doing your own thing, unconnected you're not fulfilling the purpose which God called you, he called you part of a family, part of a temple, part of a body and that's a choice you have. Friends, church should be known as your family, your household, your temp, God's temple, and the body. It's, it's where you get to work hard at keeping the unity. It's where you get to serve using the gift that God has given you. It's where you get to see others grow and where you get to see Christ glorified. And I pray that we would be that kind of church. So let me pray right now. Paul says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Oh Lord, we need your help to do that. We acknowledge all the ways that we are just selfish and we hold grudges and we struggle with people. And Lord, uh, it's so much easier to be divided and to be working hard at unity. Lord, if there is work that needs to be done tonight, I pray that we'd have the, the integrity and the boldness and the desire to do that hard work. Uh, and Lord, thanks for each other. Thanks for bringing us together as family. Thanks for gifting us. We praise you for your grace gifts. Uh, Lord, help us to use those gifts so that your body is built up and so that your son is glorified. And I ask that for Jesus' sake.